On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. morning. I am glad we're together. I'm moving into this series. Uh, we're, I'm hoping to cultivate some more into our lives, uh, hoping to cultivate some encouragement. Um, I, I, I think in these days we need encouragement. Watch this, that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves. Oftentimes our world is stuck. We're kind of stuck in this little world like my world is my concern is right here. And I feel like the Lord says, no, 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 you're, you're part of this huge thing. It's called kingdom. That's where we want to get to is kingdom. But one, one of the things that we're doing is in these, these weeks is we're exploring the foundations of the sanctuary. And uh, uh, we're looking at how our, our congregation got here, how we came to be, uh, why we do what we do. And the map for that exploration has been our vision statement. So we've been looking at our vision statement. This is, this is what God has called us to do. And I've broken this statement down into three parts. So there's this, we exist as a community to be a safe place for each person to grow in God's love and truth. And what I've done is I've just kind of broken it down into three parts. That first section, we exist as a community, is where I told our story. It started back in 1936 when Otto Heinrich planted this congregation. He planted a congregation in Mint Canyon, right here in Santa Clarita. What else was here in 1936, right? Uh, but then I walked through my personal experiences uh, of God's faithfulness over the last 34 years of just pastoring here, of working this field, of, of planting and harvesting and planting and working the rocks out of the field. There's lots of rocks. They, I don't know why they call it Sand Canyon. It should be like Boulder Canyon. But um, then I, I walked through my personal experiences. and then So then last week, I opened up the second part, part two, to be a safe place for each person. Uh, if you remember that last week, I was looking at the Old Testament cities of refuge, right? That God had said, hey, there needs to be these places of safety for my people. And I also looked at the reason that we are for people is because God is for people. Uh, at that time, I gave away these wristbands. If you didn't get one of these wristbands, ushers have them today. You can get them on the way out, but ask for those wristbands. We've got them, okay? Uh, this week, I want to unpack to grow listen to me, in God's love and truth. This is the third part of this vision statement that God has said, Here's, here, I want you to look at this and I want you to keep your eyes focused on this, get your vision on this, right? To grow in God's love and truth. And the emphasis is on those three letters right in the middle, A-N-D, love and truth. A lot of times we like to function in one or the other, and one is not more important than, one, than the other. It's love and truth. Both are essential if we, want, if we want to really get this, if we want real, lasting, life change, if we want to grasp and hold on to that which God has for us. So open up your Bibles with me and open up your apps too. I'm going to be coming here. Uh, open up your app. If, by the way, if, as you open up your app, if you missed anything of the last couple of weeks, it's on the app. So again, that's why we really push the app is because the app has all the past teachings. So if you missed either of those last two teachings, we can get there. But go into uh, 1 Timothy, you're going to want to see this. Um, I want to look at the four ways that truth and love relate to each other. Here's the first way. Truth aims at love. Truth aims at love. 
That's the first piece you can fill that in today. Here's what it says. First Timothy, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And those, those of you who don't know this, uh, oh, I'll get to this book in a minute, but this is, this is right here on my pulpit. So it's the first scripture on my pulpit. This is, this is, I, I look at this every week and I say, this is, this is why I'm here. This is the message that I'm preaching. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with the pure heart, the clear conscience, the genuine faith. And see, the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of what I'm doing up here, the goal of what the Bible is putting out to us is love. Instruction is the means. That's how we're going to see a lot of us in our culture United States of America, we have a value of knowledge. But I have to let you know, that's not where the Bible comes from. The Bible comes from the value is the application of the knowledge. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not that I know things. Wisdom is that I do something with the things that I know. Everybody following that? There's a lot of really stupid, smart people. You see them in the news every day, right? That guy made millions of dollars being an athlete, etc. Wait, he's bankrupt? How did he do that? He knew a lot, but he didn't do anything with the things that he knew. And so the Bible comes from this place and says, you got to do something with it. It's more than just knowledge. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Truth serves love. So that's our first point, right? Truth serves love. This is true in our relationship with God. Truth serves love between Christian and Christian. Truth serves love between believer and unbeliever. Open up your Bibles. Come with me back, way to the back. It's called Hebrews. There's a book. We actually don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We think it could have been Paul, but there's a lot that tells us it wasn't. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 10. This is a fantastic, fantastic book. Way in the back of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 23, 20, uh, starting 23. Now watch this. I'm putting these up here. I'm putting this Bible bookshelf because I know a lot of people go, I don't know where that is. <laughs> Well, this, this, is where you, this is where the New Testament bookshelf comes in. I'm encouraging you to bring your Bibles to church because th this has to make a difference beyond today. And if we're not looking at it today, we're, we're probably not looking at it tomorrow. Just a thought. And so I, I want to encourage you, have your Bibles with you, and I'm going to give you these cheats, right? This is the New Testament bookshelf. So you find there's the Gospels. You see how they work? Now, listen, you can also go into the book of your contents page. You can do that. That's cool, too. But, but I want us to get this. And some of it have it on our phone. Man, it's super easy when you got it on your phone, right? But I want us to see the Word because I want you to read this with me. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, going through verse 25. Watch what he says. He writes this. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm because God can be trusted to keep his promise. This is that Hebrew salad. Remember I was talking about this, right? Church salad I talked about a few weeks ago. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And here's the last one. Let us, right, not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing close. It's drawing near. The goal of our education, the goal of our instruction is love. And that's why we motivate one another. That's why we encourage one another. Because it stirs up love. Simple things. Simple things. Saying someone's name. Have you ever had somebody remember your name that you didn't think would remember your name? 
And they simply go, hey, and they, they say, hey, Marty. You're like, wow, I know why people remember my name. I'm really sorry. Picture in the post office. Okay, and so, but, so what happens is, you ever have somebody remember your name and you're like, oh. what, what does that do to you when somebody remembers your name that you didn't think would remember your name? It stirs something up. That's what Hebrews is talking about here. It's encouraging one another, right? So watch it. Here's the second one. Love, getting back to this, love aims at truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 says, love doesn't rejoice. It doesn't rejoice about injustice. Listen to this. It rejoices when truth wins out. That's what love is about. It, it wins out. Love is glad when truth is spoken. Love is glad when, when that truth gets spoken by you and I to one another. That's how love aims at truth. Love supports the truth. We all know the conflict. We all see the conflict. You ever been in this situation? Something needs to be said. People are talking and you're like, something needs to be said here. And, and then we do this. Not my job. That's somebody else's job. But the Bible says we speak the truth in love. Well, not me, but whoever they were talking to when they wrote that. No, we speak the truth in love. And we see that something needs to be said, but we go, yeah, yeah. And so here's what happens. Many times we either, with three options. I'm, it's not going to be me. I'm out. Let, let it be somebody else's business. I know what they're saying is wrong. What they're talking about is absolutely wrong. But I'm, uh, it's not up to me. That's not my place. Or, here's a second option, we choose truth. You guys are knuckleheads. Or, we choose love. Oh, yeah. And, we, and it looks like we actually agree with what's happening. And none of those three options are any good. How about this option, truth and love? How about we speak the truth with love? We see these conflicts, right? 2 Corinthians, watch this. I'm just going to come to the left here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, right? I wrote that, this is Paul, this is his third letter, it's actually called 2 Corinthians, but it is his third letter. He says, I wrote that letter to you, the first one, remember the 1 Corinthians, the one I wrote there, I wrote that letter in great anguish. Look what he says, I wrote this letter, I know it hurts your feelings. And I did it with a troubled heart and many tears, I don't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much, I, how much love I have for you. Do you. You see that? Paul says, I, I know 1 Corinthians, I know that, uh, that other letter, I know that hurts your feelings. And it was hard for me. But I need to let you know how much I love you. <laughs> well, then why did you hurt me? No, I, I have this love for you. Paul aims at truth. Paul is filled with love, and, and it compels him to write this hard letter, and I think that letter causes, watch this, both him and the Corinthians' sorrow or grief, right? There is a third way. There's a third way. Truth and love. That's, that's how we can relate to one another. Here's the third way. Love shapes how we speak the truth. Love shapes how we speak the truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says, instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, right? He says, 
Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body, the church. Beloved, there is an unloving way to speak the truth. You've all experienced it. There is an unloving way to speak the truth. And, and that's the truth speaking. Listen to me now. That's the truth speaking I think we need to reject. For me, I separate truth and honesty. I, I separate these two things. So, so watch this. This is just your pastor, right? I separate truth and honesty. I, I think to be honest involves quick thinking, reactionary, feeling-based answers. Yeah, that dress does make you look fat. Yeah, that was a dumb idea. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think that's useful. I, I just don't think it's useful. But see, to be truthful is to respond out of a place of love. Now, you don't have to go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's just a few pages over. I was just there. I was just there, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about what love is. And in my Bible, you can't see it, but in my Bible, every time that the word love comes up, I put the letter G for God. Listen to how it reads. God is patient and kind. God's not jealous, boastful pride. God's not rude. God doesn't demand his own way. God's not irritable. He doesn't rejoice at being, things being wronged. He doesn't rejoice about injustice. He rejoices when truth wins out. God never gives up. He never loses faith. And, and then at one point in one of my older Bibles, I had the letter M for Marty. And I'm like, because <sighs> I wanted to be that. I wanted to be, and I think this is what God is calling us to, I wanted to be love. And so I just had M, 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 and I was like, it was so hard. I still believe that is my goal. I still believe it's what I'm after, but man, that's hard. There's a way to speak the truth in love, and we need to learn this language. How do we speak the truth in love? Come with me to 2 Timothy. Watch this. I'm going to the back here. 2 Timothy, past the Thessalonian brothers, right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 24. 2 Timothy chapter 2, way in the back there, right? Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 24. He says this. A servant of the Lord, you want to know about truth and love, ready? This is truth and love. A servant of the Lord, that's me and you, must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. A servant of the Lord must be able to teach. A servant of the Lord must be patient with difficult people. What we call the EGRs, extra grace required. You ever meet, the, you ever meet these people, the EGRs? If you're like, no, guess what? It's you. Okay, I don't know anybody, right? Okay, these are the EGRs, right? You gotta, be, you gotta be patient with difficult people. And listen to this, verse 25. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Gently. You guys are a bunch of idiots. Watch this. That might be true. I have met people, I'm like, these people, watch this. Biblically speaking, these people are fools. I have met those people. I've been in conversation with those people. But watch, it's going, you guys are a bunch of fools. Doesn't do anything but stir it up. And, and the Proverbs, man, proverb a day gives wisdom away. Man, you, you want to know what happens when you do that? It's like, it's like kicking an angry dog. 
It'll only get worse. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away that kind of wrath. And so, so you don't start that way. See, we, we, no, we're gentle there. And so I want to get there. I want to say, perhaps, listen to what he says, perhaps God's going to change those people's hearts. And then they will learn the truth. You hear that? Gently instruct those who oppose the truth because perhaps God's going to change their hearts and they will learn the truth. Truth in love asks, listen, what is the most important, what, no, what is the most helpful thing that I can say once everything's been considered? I'm looking at the situation, that will not be helpful, that will not be helpful, that's going to stir things up. What's the most helpful thing I can say right now? Hey, you guys, I don't think we should be talking about this. That person's not here. As opposed to, man, you guys are a bunch of gossips. Whoa. Is that true? Yes. But here, here's a more thoughtful way. Hey, you guys, I, I, don't, I don't think we should be talking about this. That person's not here. I've included myself. I'm in the situation. See, it changes things. That's speaking the truth in love. Love shapes the truth into words. Love shapes the truth into actions that are patient, that are gentle, which brings me to number four. Here's number four. Truth shapes how we show love. Truth shapes how we show love. We know that we're God's children if we love God and, watch this, obey his commandments. That's, that's one of the ways that we know that we're God's kids. You know what he does here? It's called a litmus test. You know what a litmus test is? A litmus test is a chemical test. They'll take a piece of gold and they just drop this chemical on it and it goes and starts to bubble up if it's gold. A, a litmus test is the proof of something. You can prove, like, you know, we, we've just all finished our COVID tests, right? You, you put that spit up and you take it in your nose and you spit in a bottle, whatever it is, right? And they give you this test. It's a litmus test that says, this is what this is or it is not. Here's what he says. He says it. We know we're God's kids. I know I'm part of the family of God if we love God and obey his commandments. What does that mean? What does that even mean? It shapes how we love. That truth test shows if our actions are loving. See, we gotta keep the commandments of loving God's people God's way. The love of God toward people. Love can't be cut loose from the truth. Well, I just gotta tell them the truth. No, the love and truth. We can't cut it loose from God's love, his, his word, his way, his will. It's, it all comes together. And, and I would summarize all of this with this statement. And you've probably heard me say this before. Love without truth has no impact. Truth without love has the wrong impact. Love without truth has no impact. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about that. God loves you anyway. No, you need to worry about that and cut it out. But, oh, no, don't worry about it. No, that's going to end up wrong. How can I love you into stopping this action, stopping these, these decisions that you're making? This is, this is not going to end well. The other option is truth without love. You know, you're all dying and going to hell without Jesus. With a bullhorn megaphone. Wow, I, I don't know. I don't know that people go, I love when people talk to me with a bullhorn. 
truth and love. Before we move on, I want to look at truth as it concerns the Bible. What is the truth? Because I said this last week, we need to be people of the book, this book. We need to be people of the book. We need to be people of the Bible. The non-negotiable challenge regarding the Bible is getting it read. This is, this is, this is what makes the difference for us. And not, not read on our terms, but on its own terms. That God, this is God's revelation of himself to us. We have to read it with that understanding. Unfortunately, I think when it comes to living the Christian life, probably ranking the highest among the most neglected disciplines is reading the Bible. It's just not something we do. I don't have time for it. It's not in the schedule. I get up early. I'm on the road by five. I don't get home till seven. That's a long day. Absolutely. You want to make that day shorter? Read your word. I'm just telling you, this makes all the difference in the world. And you can ask anybody who does it. Takes stress away. Takes the burdens away. Because this aligns us to something bigger than ourselves. Something greater than our jobs. Something bigger than our relationships. But we're just not reading our Bibles. We read books, we read devotionals, we read blogs, we read tweets, we read the the Bible memes on social media, but we need to read the Bible. And I'll tell you what, uh, let me just tell you, it's been difficult for me. I'm in a master's program right now, it's Christian spiritual formation, and it's hard, listen to me, to read just the Bible these days. (laughs) Because I'm reading all these other books about the Bible, that's awesome, I've got, I've got six books right now I'm reading at the same time. Six books in eight weeks. Whew. But what that does is it makes it really hard for me to just find time to just go, okay, just go through Psalm 47. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Just, that, it makes it very hard, and I just have to carve out time because this aligns me in a very different way. In order to do that, and I want to give this to you, in order to read the Bible and the scriptures adequately, and I would say accurately, we have to simultaneously live them. I think think oftentimes we're we're just reading them, but I think we're needing to not just read them. I think, again, if we're gonna get enough of it, and if we're gonna have it really affecting us, we have to live them out. We have to walk them out. I'm not saying that, that we live them as a prerequisite to reading them. You can't live them without knowing what they are, right? It's like, how can I live that out if I don't know what it says? And, and I'm not saying that we live them out as a consequence of reading them, although that happens. See, oftentimes in the church, we, we kind of get this message out there, well, once you're all fixed up, then you can start going to church. Once I break these bad habits, then I can start going to church. And guess where people get that idea? No, I'm saying that as we read them, as as we're reading the scriptures, I think actually reading the scriptures and not living them out is what I would call curious. I'm like, what's that about? That's a very curious activity. Sometimes we're reading the Bible and not living the Bible because we don't understand the Bible. We're like, what is that? 
And so then he cut the cow in half and dipped the blood and on his left earlobe and, and put it on his toe and then stepped through the blood. And you're like, what in the world is going on? I, me? I, I'm like, what is that? But we don't understand the Bible. We don't know what we're reading. And honestly, what, what good is that? I want to show you a video. This is a video of my granddaughter, my youngest granddaughter. This is her reading. It's amazingly adorable. This is my granddaughter reading. Oh, that was so nice. You want to read it again? More? job. That's the end. How about one of these pages? She's cute. Do you hear her imitating her mom? Her mom's tone, her mom's reflection. Ah, ah. At first, I, I, I saw this. She's turning the pages. Her gibberish is so amusing to me. It's, and it is, it's giggle worthy. But then it became a parable to me. And I said, wow. Listen, obviously, Juniper can't read yet. She, she wants to read. Her mom, her dad, they read to her. Poppy, right? Mimi, we read to her. Cousins, they read to her. Oh, she loves reading. But she can't read yet. How many of us are reading our Bible like Juniper? And then we go, that was good. I had no idea what I was reading. Ah, next day. I think it's like when Jesus said, he was, he was quoting Isaiah, actually. He said, it's people are hearing, but they're not understanding. That's what Jesus said. They're hearing the truth, but they don't, they don't understand it. And when Junie does this, it's totally endearing. It's totally innocent. But I'll tell you what, when we do it as adults, I think it's perpetuating our immaturity, what I called our, our fragmented kindergarten Christianity. We're no more mature than we were when we first said, Jesus, come into my life and make me new, restore me, heal me. Etc. And here we are, this far along, and we're still, I'm no, no. He, he wants to transform us. 
I want to introduce you to the Bible Project today. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, get familiar with the Bible Project. This is probably one of the most um, utilized resources I, I use on a regular basis. On a regular basis, the Bible Project is absolutely fantastic. I'll get to this book in a minute, but the Bible Project helps me to take apart the Bible. It takes it apart and goes, this is what this means. This is how this works. This is the history of it. And I go, oh, it may, now I get it. Now I know what the blood was about. Oh, I see what's happening. Before, I was just, really, in the Old Testament, ah, I didn't get it. Bible Project has helped me to do that in a huge way. The Bible Project takes apart, just takes apart the Bible. And, and it, is, it is marked as one of my favorites. So, you know, my tabs along the top, Bible Project is right there because I go into it on a regular basis to help with these teachings. In fact, you're going to hear about some of it this morning. But what it does is it takes, apart, it takes apart pieces of the Bible. This is just the book of Zechariah. And it says, here's, the way, here's what happened. It's in cartoon form. I love pictures. Okay, and every book of the Bible... Every concept in the Bible, it just takes it all apart, right? Some of you, I know you're fascinated with this one right here, so I'm going to show it to you. You, you want to understand? Because this is the most common question I get. When can we do a series on Revelation? I go, 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 read, go read and watch this several dozen times, and we'll get started. It's amazing. Revelation is amazing, but it's a huge conversation. And I go, we'll, we'll start talking about revelation when we learn how to love God and love our neighbor. Because that was, that was the most important thing. And that's coming. It's coming whether we know about it or not. But let's start with this one. Jesus said, hey, love God. That's the most important thing. And love your neighbor. That's equally as important. I go, we're not doing that really well. It would be really cool to take apart Revelation. What do all those horns mean? Why does he have all those eyes? I want to know about it. Cool. The wings are excellent. How you doing with your neighbor? That guy's a jerk. Oh, more truth without love. I encourage you, Bible Project. There is a link actually in today's, uh, in the app today, in the notes, there's a link to the Bible Project in, in regards to some of the stuff I'm about to talk about. The question is, how can we live the scriptures as we read them? That's the question. Well, I'm glad you've asked that question, right? right? Open up to Psalms. Come on, right in the middle of your Bible, turn left, right? Go to the middle. Once your Bible flops open in the middle, then turn left. Psalms chapter one, it starts the whole thing. Psalm, Psalm one, watch this. You got to Job, you've gone too far, turn right, right? Psalm chapter one, verse two. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. That word meditating is the word hagah. It's in Hebrew. It, it, I'll get to it in a minute here. That's, that's Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. Then just go to the right, Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Psalm 63, 6 says this. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating, hagah-ing, on you through the night. And then Isaiah, keep going to the right, right? Isaiah chapter 31. Isaiah chapter 31. Coming over, coming over. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4. Oh, so good. This is what the Lord has shown, has told me. When a strong young lion stands growling over a sheep it is killed, it's not frightened by the shouts and noise of a whole crowd of shepherds. That word 
I want you to get it. Growling, that's Hagah. The same thing we just heard about meditating in the middle of the night, his word, meditating on it. Here Isaiah says, growling over the sheep it's killed doesn't freak him out when other people, hey, get away from there, ah, get away from there. He just, it's okay. That lion, when Isaiah's lion is hagaying here, it's chewing and swallowing it's using its teeth and its tongue. It's using his, its stomach, its intestines. Isaiah's lion is meditating. You, you ever watch a dog chew its bone? You, you ever watch a dog chew its bone? You ever, uh, it goes, it goes, and, then, and then it rolls its, you ever watch a dog roll its eyes when it's chewing its bone? It's like, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's chewing that bone, and then, and then it takes a bone, and it digs a hole, sticks it in a hole, leaves it there, and comes back tomorrow. I want more of the bone. <laughs> the, the only equivalent I can think of it is humans with their cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> they, they warm their hands. Oh, I wish I could drink coffee. I want to drink coffee so bad. I want adult taste buds. I'm like, it looks so fun, but it's so foul tasting. Okay. Isaiah uses the same word, Hagah, just a few pages later in chapter 38. He says, it's the moaning of a dove early in the morning. You ever heard of dove first thing in the morning? You go, oh, listen, listen. He says, that's Hagah. And I go, okay, wait, 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 wait. See, the Bible is inviting us into that kind of reading the, the soft purrs, the low growls as we taste and savor and anticipate the sweet and spicy, the mouth-watering, the soul-energizing morsels that we find in God's word. I find myself going, oh, right, mmm, mmm. Let that sink in for a minute. Right. Okay, keep going. See, we're Americans, right? We get to the dinner table like Hoover vacuums. All right, done. Now we can move on. We just inhale it. We, we very rarely taste things anymore. Psalm 34, David encourages us. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then Jeremiah, in, in the book that has his name attached to it, he says, when I discovered your word, I devoured it. I, I ate it up. And we're not talking about scarfing down information. We're not talking about scarfing down information, but rather like a jolly rancher. You pop one of those in your mouth, right? And for like 10 minutes, you get blue raspberry, right? So, so today, I have jolly ranchers for everybody when we leave. Ushers have them for you. Here's what happens. I pop that thing in my mouth, and it's hard candy. I don't chew it. I just suck on it. And I got blue raspberry in my mouth until the piece is gone. And then when it's gone, I can still taste it. That's what Hagah is about. That's what, that's what God is inviting us. Hey, would you take my word into you and just let it, mm, it lasts for a while. I'm giving this to you as a living parable today. I've got them in watermelon, cherry, green apple, blue raspberry, right? But just take, I mean, I don't do sugar. Just do one sugar today. It won't kill you. Okay. But I'm on the keto and I, Okay. Uh, I just want you to pop this in your mouth and then just see what that's like to, to allow flavor to just take over 
See how long that lasts you. You know the Tootsie Pop, right? One lick, two lick. No, no, don't do that. Just, right? The Bible is a work of the Spirit. And this kind of spiritual writing requires spiritual reading. It's not, this isn't, this isn't a book. It's just like a novel that you're, no, you've got to slow down. Spiritual reading doesn't mean that we're always bent over the pages, right? But sometimes we are. We're leaning back, closing our eyes over a sentence. Again, just get that one for a minute. The love of the Lord never ceases. Hmm. Spiritual reading enters our souls like food enters our stomachs. It metabolizes in and through us. It spreads through our blood, our nerve endings, our muscles. It strengthens our bones. In that process, and, and in that process it happens, and it continues to process in, in us until holiness, until uh, we, we allow the truth of God's word in everything that is gets into us. The love the wisdom, until that becomes inseparable, an inseparable part of us. That's what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be in me and a part of me. I can't separate the word out from me. It's just in me. That's what food does. Builds our muscles, works in our bloodstreams, and the right food does it even better. Eat junk food, it pretty much passes through. Your body says, I have no need of this. But healthy food processes in us. Last book of the Bible, I was there just a minute ago. The book of Revelation, come with me, would you please? Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Here's what he says. John's writing this, the beloved. Chapter 10, starting in verse 9 and 10. I went to the angel and told him, give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It'll be sweet as honey to your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. See, this book takes us off guard. It surprises us. It pulls at us until we're participating with God on his terms. We don't read this book and, the, and all the other books that have been inspired by it in order to get God to participate with us in our lives, we read it because we want to participate with God on his terms. Lord, your way. See, I don't read this book for propaganda where somebody's strong-arming us, strong-arming their will on us, attempting to manipulate us into a certain action or belief. I, I don't read this book for information where I'm reducing these words as commodities, where I just kind of pop them out. Oh, you know, the Lord is good. God is good all the time. God blesses those who help themselves. Cleanliness next to godliness. None of those are in the Bible, by the way. And so, but, but you see, we, we kind of throw them out like commodities. We go, oh, yeah, 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 we get to use them. I don't read this book for, in, in a transactional manner. Well, you know, i got to do my Bible reading. Check the box, check the box, check the box. I did my part, now you do yours. That's the way it works, right? I was faithful to you, so now you got to do what I want you to do. That's not the way. Uh, let's read this book for transformation. Let's eat it. Let's taste it. Let's chew it. Let's savor it. Let's swallow it. Let's digest it. Let's allow it. Let's allow this book to metabolize in us and change us. <laughs> 